Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 John. We will be studying, for the most part, from this letter, 1 John. As you're turning there, I would like to thank you for being here. Appreciate our visitors coming our way. We uh, hope that you find a, a faithful group of Christians here in, in Cortez that are seeking to do the Lord's will, as we have been instructed to do so in the New Testament. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for the service so far. We um, are always encouraged by being able to come together and edify one another and, and do those things that the scriptures tell us that we should do in praise of our God. This morning I want to talk about um, some things that, that we can know. You know, a, a lot of times, and, and sadly so, we we question our faith, don't we? We question the depth of our faith, and we question whether or not we can truly know something. We question whether we can uh, fully um, be committed in our service to God. And that's part of human nature. And it's okay to be um, always circumspect, always trying to better ourselves and to more appreciate uh, God's word and his will for us. And, and so that side of it's okay. But I hope what we'll learn this morning is there, there are some things that we can know. And scripture tells us that too. There are some things that we can know. Not too long ago on our, uh, when we still had Sunday night services, we did a series of lessons through uh, the letters of John. And this is taken from one of those lessons. Um, but John writes to to his audiences and tells them uh, about being confident in things, about knowing things, and, and being committed in your service to God and your faith. And, and he backs all that up by telling them that there's some things that they can know. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to say, well, am, am I getting this right? He tells them some things that they can know. And so I want to start this way by pointing out some of those things that uh, John says, and there's others, I don't, this is not an exhaustive list, but just some things that we can see, that John says that we can know. For instance, we can know Him. We can know God. We can know the Lord. In chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, But this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Now, a lot of these things are conditional. We're going to make that point as we go through, and especially as we get towards the end, that Keeping his commandments is very instrumental in knowing God and knowing him. But look at the language there. By this, we know that we have come to know him. We don't guess. We don't assume. We don't think we kind of have it figured out. John says we know. In chapter 2, a couple of verses down in verse 5, he says that we can know that we are in him. Whoever keeps his word, there is again, there's a conditional statement about keeping his commandments. In him, uh, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Well, I think I'm in him. I think I know. John says, if you keep his commandments, you can know that you're in him. Uh, we know that we have passed from death into life. From chapter 3 and verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. There's another conditional, conditional statement there. Why? Because we love the brethren. What is that all about? That's about loving our neighbor. 
It's about serving God, loving our neighbor as ourselves. He who does not love abides in death. There's the other side of it in this statement. We know that we are of the truth from, from verse 19 of chapter 3. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. We will know this, that we are of the truth. God's word is truth. If we seek to serve him, we go there to find out truth. We can know that he abides in us. Chapter 3, verse 24, the one who keeps his commandments, there again, conditional statement, abides in him and he in him. And he, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We know. So how is it, uh, or let's, let's ask this question or talk about this. From chapter 5, there's one more important thing that we can know, and we're going to get there in just a moment. There's one more very, very important thing that we can know. And it begins by understanding many witnesses. Let's go over to chapter 5. One thing that, that, that I hope our appreciation grows in, in understanding the God that we serve, God doesn't ask us for blind faith. God has given us uh, all things pertaining to life and godliness. He has spelled out in his word the things that, uh, his nature about him and how he's treated his children in the past. And, and so, in, as John is laying this out, he talks about some things that witness uh, things about God, about the, the God that we serve. Let's read here in, in 1 John 5. Let's read verses 6 through 8. There are three here that bear witness as he mentions here. 1 John 5, beginning verse 6. says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three of these are in agreement. So John's going to be laying out the case here for what he's going to get to in something else that we can know. But it starts here with laying out the case here about those who bear witness about Jesus. First he mentions the water. What's he talking about when he talks about bearing witness of the water? Go back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And this is the occasion of the baptism of Jesus. And John the Baptist is, is out baptizing for the, for the remission of sins baptizing for repentance, and Jesus comes to him. Verse 13, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have no need to be baptized, or, I have no need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Or, let me read that again. I have need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? This is John asking, why? Jesus, you should be baptizing me, not the other way around. But Jesus answered, verse 15, and said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up and immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, the voice of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John is laying out the case here about the water being a witness of Jesus. What does that mean? 
Well, Jesus says it himself. He says it is, he, he tells John to per, permit it at, all, at this time to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. That is, this is God's plan being performed out. John was to come. He was the one that would prepare the way of the Lord. And he is baptizing, and Jesus comes to him and says, baptize me. And so he says that to, to fulfill all righteousness, to, to fulfill God's plan for the redemption of man. So it was proper and right at the time for Jesus to be baptized, indicating that he had come to fulfill God's plan, to fulfill all righteousness. John also talks about uh, the witness of the blood. That's easy for us to understand. He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the blood that was shed on our behalf for the remission of our sins. In 1 Peter 1, verse 17 there through 21, Peter mentions, talks about the blood by which we are redeemed. He says, we're not redeemed with gold or silver, the things that are imperishable in this, that what the world might consider to be valuable. But he said, we are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. That's what's redemption, that is, is what redemption is found in, the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood bears witness of who Jesus Christ was and who he is. John also mentions this one that bears witness of Jesus is the Spirit himself. And this is the most reliable witness. This is the Spirit of God. He was present there at Jesus' baptism as we read there from Matthew 3 and verse 16. As the, the Spirit of God came down as a dove. He was there. The Holy Spirit was there. He raised Jesus from the dead. Roman, Romans 8, verse 11, Paul mentions that, that very fact. It was the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. How much better witness can we have of that? To, 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 to witness the resurrection than to perform it yourself? That's what the Holy Spirit did. He talks about, um, in 2 Peter, Peter talks about how uh, the Holy Spirit revealed God's word to men. In 2 Peter 1 there, verses 20 and 21, Peter talks about how no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. But what? But uh, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Holy Spirit speaking the words of God. And guess what? The Holy Spirit spoke the words of God talking about this man, Jesus Christ, who would come to the world and redeem man from his sins. Back in 1 John 5, there's some other witnesses that John talks about here, verses 9 through 10. Um, he says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his son. See, there's some other witnesses in here. One is that of men. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 there, Paul makes mention of all those who had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. He recaps the, some of the appearances by Jesus and even adds that at one time he was seen by 500 brethren at once. That's a lot of witnesses. It's a lot of witnesses of the resurrected Christ. John, as he's opening this letter, he talks about Himself, he says, what from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands and handled concerning the word of life. He, he makes it known that 
I'm a witness to Jesus Christ. I was with him. I have been in his presence. We have those witnesses of men. And while this is a great number of credible witnesses, there's still a witness that is greater than this. And that is God. And that's what he points to there, that God himself is a witness of this. He was present as, at, at Jesus' baptism, as we mentioned there, as John baptizes him. God was there. Holy Spirit was there. And Jesus was there. God was there, of course, at his transfiguration when he was, was transformed there on the mountain. And it was God. God was there. Of course he was. God was present before his crucifixion in John 12 there as Jesus has made his way into Jerusalem for the last time, about to be crucified in a few short days. He, he, uh, he has this conversation amongst his disciples and he speaks to the Father. He says, Father, glorify thy name. And, the, and a voice comes from heaven and he says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it. So that time period right there before Jesus is to be crucified, God speaks from heaven. He says, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it. When you go to that cross to die, to be resurrected, that will glorify my name as well. There's one other witness in this, in this group that John points to, and that is the believer. That is um, the, those who have uh, put on Christ, those who believe in the word. Look over in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, beginning of verse 14. It says, But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews therefore were marveling, saying, How has this man become learned, never having been educated? And Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If a man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. If we are willing to do God's will, if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is from God or from his own. Isn't that reassuring to understand that our study in God's word and, and, and immersing ourselves in, in the word of God helps us to know what it is that we believe. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 there, we know that verse about, about solid food. Uh, solid food is for the mature because he uh, who practice um, have, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You know, there, there's a knowing that we can have if we are training our senses, if we can, if we can know what is good and what is evil. That's solid food that we are to be feasting upon. So why all these witnesses? Back in 1 John 5, why, um, why, what do all these testimonies tell us? Why does John go through uh, this list of witnesses to, to tell us about Jesus Christ? Verse 11 and 12 begin to give us the answer. Verse 11, it says, And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this is the life in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So in telling us all this, 
he is witnessing, he's telling us that God has given us eternal life. Through all the witnesses that he has, has, has made mention of here. And it's only available in his son. It's only available through Jesus Christ. John has presented here, throughout his writing, he's, permit, he's presented these testimonies. He's told us that God has sent his son for salvation. And acceptance of that fact gives us access to the Father. And rejecting it means we have no fellowship with neither the Father nor the Son. Why is John writing? Why is John telling us all this? Look in verse 13. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Remember all those things we looked at that we know? We can know Him. We can know we are uh, passed out of death into life. We can know that we abide in Him. Look what John says that we can know now. He says that we can know that we have eternal life. No guessing. No wondering. No... Uh, I think I do. No, I hope I do. John says we can know. But let's look at this a little bit further and see there's some things about this. First of all, note who he's writing to. Verse 13 again. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's important. It's important that he is writing to believers. Do we believe in the Son of God? Yes then we can know that we have eternal life. He writes that, that they can know that they have eternal life. So then the question comes then, well, we're human, right? We want to we wanna know a little more. How can we know? How, how can I know? How can I be assured? When do, I, when do I know that I have eternal life? As I mentioned as we were going through some of those things early on, Many of what we looked at are conditional upon keeping his commandments. When do we know we have eternal life? Here's just a partial list of things. When we keep his commandments, we keep his words, when we love the brethren, when we believe what the Spirit has revealed, when we confess that Jesus is the Son of God and believe that Jesus is the Christ. All that goes back to understanding and knowing the God that we serve by keeping his commandments. Look in chapter 5 and verse 20. This is a good summation of a lot of the ideas that John is talking about here. Chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, And we know that the Son of God has come, right? And has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God and eternal life. Isn't that a great way to summarize all that we were talking about here? We know that the Son of God has come. What does that mean? That means we believe Jesus Christ. We believe that he has come into the world and has died on a cross to save man from his sins. We know that he has given us under, and has given us understanding. 
We have the complete revealed word of God. And he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness so that we can understand him. In order that we might know what is true, we know what truth is. Jesus said it himself about his father, thy word is truth. And we are in him who isn't true. There's that abiding. We, we know that we can abide in him. And his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and what? Eternal life. So when we keep his commandments and keep his word and love the brethren and, and doing those things that the New Testament tells us to do, guess what? We can know that we have eternal life. Are we practicing those things? Are we putting those things into practice in our everyday lives? If we are, we can know we have eternal life. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. We're not left to guess. We're not left to wonder about our faith. Scripture tells us what we need to be doing. Put that in practice, then we can know we have eternal life. Closing thought on this. As he writes there about, in verse 13, and you know that we have eternal life, there's a confidence that comes along with that. And that's really what he's driving at here, is, is the knowing and the confidence in the knowing. Verse 14, it says, And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we ask... Um, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. There's some more knowings there, isn't there? What else can we know? We know that he hears us. We know that he hears our prayers. But knowing all this gives us confidence. We can ask anything according to his will. Now, there's some things to understand about Asking something according to his will. In James chapter 4 and verses 3 and 15, I think, are, are, are instrumental and key verses in understanding what that means. And in verse 3, he talks about, he says, You ask, but you ask um, and do not receive because you're asking with the wrong motives. I think the, either the New King James or the King James says, You ask amiss. I like that idea. You're asking wrong. Why? Because you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives. He goes on to talk about how you're, you're, you're asking with selfish motives. You're asking for your own pleasures and worldly pleasures. You're, you're not asking in accordance with God's will. What has God told us about the things of this world? Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about giving us food and shelter and, and something to drink. And, and, and those things God will provide for us. Those are the things we need to be asking for. That's in accordance with God's will. Not speedboats and fast cars and those kind of things, which we might want. And we might have those in our, in our lives. But understand that God wants us to ask according to his will. All these things will come as blessings from him. But again, we must keep his commandments. I can't ask for things that are outside of his will and expect them to be answered from him. The other side of that, I can have confidence in knowing that he will answer those things that are according to his will. Our prayers must be in accordance with God's will. And understand this about it also. 
His answer will be what is best for us. We might want that speed boat. I'm using that kind of tongue in cheek. Is that what's going to be best for us? Let's leave it up to God to understand what's going to be best for us. We need to pray. We need to be specific in our prayers. We need to ask him for the things that are in accordance with his will. For food and shelter, provide for us in this world. That's in accordance with his will. To help us in, in hospitality and loving the brethren. Treating our neighbors as ourselves. Those are things that are in accordance with his will. To serve him better each and every day. That's in his will. To, to stop sinning. To put sin behind us. That's in his will. His answer is going to be what's best for us, and it's going to be consistent with what he says he will do. He's not going to grant us something that's inconsistent with, with what he would have for us. He wants the best for us. But he has that authority and sovereignty to answer the questions as he would. To give us what is best for us. But let's go back to that confidence, verse 14. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Remember what James said, if you ask and do not receive, you're asking with the wrong motives. In verse 15 in James 4, he talks about the, the, the best way to ask that is, if the Lord wills, we will go here and do this or that. That's a good way to preface our, our request. God, if it be your will. Lord, if this be your will. That's a good way to preface our prayers and our petitions. But we can have the confidence in knowing that he hears us. And our prayers, if they're in accordance with God's will, he will answer them with what's best for us. All these things we can know. We don't have to guess. We can know these things. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Are you practicing those things, the little list we put up there? Are you practicing hospitality? Are you loving the brethren? Are you serving God? Are you acting in accordance with his will? Are you looking out for the interest of others? Are you seeking to serve him? If you are, you can know that you have eternal life. If you're falling short, that knowing tends to slip away. If you're falling short in those areas, you're not doing what God has commanded. If we keep his commandments. Let's make sure that we're doing that. Let's make sure that we're keeping his commandments. Doing those things that he would ask us to do. And in so doing, we can know that we have eternal life. We offer an invitation as we always do at the close of our time. Remember this, I have written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Do you believe Jesus Christ? Do you believe the message that he has given to mankind? Do you believe the message of his ministry? Do you believe that he died on a cross and was raised on the third day? If you do and, and understand that and are repentant, Realize that you need to make a change in your life. You're ready to be baptized. You're ready to submit to him in baptism. To be raised up out of those waters, a child of God, a new creature.
if as a child of God you're not living the way, uh, in, in such a way that you know that you have eternal life, I would encourage you, before it's too late, to make the necessary changes in your life so that you can know. We're going to sing number 325, I Am Resolved. As we sing this song, be confident in your faith. If you're not, ask for the prayers of the congregation. And we can help you with that. You can let us know by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you. <laughs>